Marini's Media. This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Winterfall slash holiday season, The Athletic wants you to bog off because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself at no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, exclusive Q&As with The Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today. Go to theathletic.com forward slash leak show. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time. This is as jam-packed a show as we've ever done. If you, like us, are loving but struggling to keep up with things during what feels like the longest spin cycle in EFL history, (laughs) we are here to help. I'm Ali Maxwell. George Ellick is here as well. George, talk me through today's show. Midweek review, we're going to go through our rewards to kick off. Then we speak to athletic writer Michael Walker, who is following Neil Warnock and Middlesbrough during a very, very busy time in the season. And then finishing off, as ever, with our weekend preview with our sponsors, Paddy Power. Let's remind ourselves what happened in the EFL on Tuesday and Wednesday with the midweek recap. This is the Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power. There may not have been any Champions League or Europa League this midweek, but who cares about that stuff? There was a full round of fixtures in the Championship League One and League Two, a very busy Tuesday indeed in League One and League Two, where all teams played on the same day, which is a rarity these times. But we're going to start in the Championship where Ali, it's where we talk about our awards for the midweek. These games often go under the radar. People don't necessarily notice them. They don't get the coverage that they deserve. That is not the case on the Totally Football League show Extra Time. And we are going to start off with our, or maybe your, team of the midweek in the Championship. Right, so the nature of these awards means that they often get given to an underdog team that's picked up a win, maybe one where they uh, were up against it, not expected to win, but pick up the three points. And this is not that, because our team of the week are the Championship League leaders, Norwich City. Now, they went to the Majeski Stadium on Wednesday night and they left with all three points, a 2-1 win against Reading. It made it four 2-1 wins in a row for Norwich, which is a very strange quirk. And, well, we're going to touch on whether we think that might continue or not. Um, the, The reason they've got my team of the week this week is not necessarily the impressiveness of the result, but rather the manner of the performance and the quality of the performance. I think Norwich, at their best, as they were for a lot of this game, are head and shoulders above any other team that we've seen in this division this season, uh, aside from a few eye-catching performances from Bournemouth. But I think the way that these two teams thrive is slightly different. Um, Norwich are constantly, a little like Leeds last season, playing against teams who are trying desperately to keep the score to to nil-nil, essentially. They come up against teams who try to frustrate them, uh, who defend deep and who dare them to sort of unpick the lock. And, And that is what they are so good at compared to the rest of the division. Um, There's no secret as to who the star men are. We saw Buendia scoring the first goal uh, and he really is answering any critics that say the thing holding him back from a top-level move is a lack of goal threat. I think it's five for the season 
already and the way that he finished it is very encouraging as well. He looks a lot calmer um, in front of goal than we've seen previously. Um, and, and then, you know, Reading hitting back with a, a deflected strike from the edge of the box, which is what Norwich have made something of a habit of uh, in recent victories. But that was really all that Reading had to show for the 90 minutes. They were missing two key goal threats, it's fair to say, but Norwich controlled this um, and 2-1 and didn't flatter them again. It's easy to get caught up in, in how often they are winning games by one goal. And I suppose that the question it chucks up is... Um, are those one goal wins more likely to turn into games where maybe they have a few frustrating results, a few draws, or are they more likely to turn into games that they win more comfortably? Given what I've seen and how good this team is and how well they are playing, how dominant they are in the majority of their games, I'm actually leaning towards the former. So the fact they already have 40 points from 19 games, the fact they've come out the other side of a big injury crisis, it's hard not to be very, very impressed. And they, they really are the team to beat. They are the archetypal team that I'm confident in saying, if you finish above Norwich, you will win automatic promotion to the Premier League this year. So um, our team of the week, Norwich City, it, was, it may have only been 2-1, but a brilliant performance away at Reading and uh, yeah, very much the team to catch at the moment. Uh, across the championship in the midweek fixtures, George, which player do you think deserves our praise? Now, normally in this segment, we like to talk about players that maybe haven't got the credit they deserve, but I'm afraid I couldn't get past one man who he's spoken about a fair bit, and that is Adam Armstrong. Uh, a player who is enjoying quite clearly the best season so far of his career. He scored his 15th goal in 18 games for Blackburn, but it was more than just the winner that he scored. Again, he was such a pest to a Rotherham side who are in good form and again made it very, very difficult for their oppositions. I think maybe the untrained eye would look at Rotherham in the Championship and assume they are an easier fixture. And whilst they may not have the quality going forward of some of the sides, their pressing mentality and their ability to stop teams from getting the ball into advanced areas is incredibly impressive. And you look at this game and Armstrong was the catalyst to a turnaround that saw Blackburn get all three points. Uh, Rotherham went 1-0 up, up through Michael Smith after an hour. And for Blackburn, in social media recently, I've noticed a few... Blackburn fans starting to question the management of Tony Mowbray. Now, I, I do not necessarily agree with this. I think that Blackburn are where they are this season in part because of Mowbray and not in spite of him. I think the style of football they've played at times this season has been really impressive. Um, but at the same time, you cannot doubt the fact that with the players they've got at their disposal and the level of performances they put in, it's a surprise not to see them on more points. And when, Ali, when you and I spoke about this earlier, you said you'd even seen a still of Tony Mowbray head in hand in the dugout at 1-0 yesterday, which I think shows the importance of this win. For Armstrong, this was the two sides of the player that we've got to know over the last couple of years. This season, we've seen the poacher, Adam Armstrong, and, and the goal that he scored in the 97th minute, the seventh minute of injury time, was exactly that. A ricochet falling to him about seven yards out and him coolly placing the ball home. But we know that Armstrong is a lot more than just a goal scorer. We've seen in the past that he is a creative player. He's a player that can also score spectacular goals. And his ball through to Harvey Elliott showed that other side to him. You know, the fact is he's not just a number nine. He is someone who can drop in deep and, and him and Elliott are starting to build a really nice combination. And it could have been Elliott, to be honest, who got the, the award for player of the midweek. Because whilst the rest of the country are crowing, and rightly so, about Curtis Jones, it's another Liverpool youngster who's starting to do some really impressive stuff in the Championship. Just 17 years of age, another goal here that takes him to four for the season. 
with four sorry with three of those coming in his last five games and you know I think it makes sense for Elliot someone who hasn't played a lot of first team football to take a bit of time to get used to it he's starting to show now that his dribbling ability his passing ability he, he attempted the second most passes of any Blackburn player in the game yesterday um, is is a cut above the championship level and if he continues to develop as he's at the moment if his partnership with Armstrong continues to develop too I have a feeling those doubting Tony Mowbray um, may not have too much to say in a few weeks. So a, a really important win for Blackburn, one that might look regulation when you look at it on paper, um, but a few really important performances in there. Armstrong with the goal and the assist and Elliot as well. So our manager of the week in the championship is Wayne Rooney, currently the caretaker or interim manager at Derby County. They beat Swansea 2-0 on Wednesday, I was going to say Wednesday night, this one kicked off at 5.30. Um, the, the schedule makers really are making it tough for us at the moment to stay on top of things. The, the kick-off to this game completely came out of the blue for me. But I must say, um, I don't want to be accused of, of too much information being given away, but I watched this game in the, in the bath and it was a genuine mm. delight to watch. Not only because I got the temperature just right, which is unusual, <laughs> but a genuinely brilliant performance from Derby against a, a, a good, a strong Swansea side. Um, and I couldn't really believe it. It was it was a complete transformation from probably the last time I saw Derby play in the early stages of Rooney's caretaker tenure or the end of Koku's tenure. Um, both in possession, where... They played 4-3-3, the fullbacks got involved in attack, Byrne and Buchanan, uh, Knight and Shinny, these sort of outside midfielders in the midfield three, they were bombing on but making runs at the right time. You had Christian Bielik, who was last week's player of the week on this pod and, and probably could have won it again this week, knitting it all together at the base of midfield. And and Waghorn and, and Josviak outside Colin Kazim Richards, they really linked up well as well. And out of possession, they were excellent because Swansea are a good side. They might not be um, the, the biggest goal threat out of the very top teams. But, um, I mean, basically, Derby completely shut off any central passes to the front two, IU and Lowe. And Swansea's other big threat, the wing-backs, well, Derby coped well with Bidwell and Roberts as well. They they shut off any quality delivery from out wide. And it left Swans completely out of ideas. You could see midway through the first half, they had no idea when they had the ball at the back how they were going to get it into the final third. And Bielik, again, was key to this. His just immense presence uh, at the base of midfield was the game's key factor for me, intercepting the ball, tackling, organising uh, and quality in possession as well. But this is a win for Wayne Rooney more specifically, I think. This team was desperate, let's not forget, just a month ago. Overloaded with information and the chopping and changing of Philip Koku, um, rattled really, a team with no confidence, with no flair, no teamwork or character on the pitch. Um, and in six games, really, since Rooney got sort of sole caretaker charge, that really looks to have changed. A transformation, as I say. Each game has brought more improvement on the game before. And it's just so impressive. I'm, I'm surprised, I must say, and impressed because, look, if, if it seems like Rooney might have been getting the opportunity to be the sole caretaker manager, more based on his name and on a first-class playing career than anything else... He's proving early on, and it is early on, that he could be a pretty talented manager as well. So that we think there's a takeover coming shortly, maybe before Christmas, and Rooney might well be getting the gift of a, a permanent appointment. And based on what we've seen in the last month, uh, it's certainly, you know, that would that would be being given to him 
based on his performance as caretaker manager. Really impressive stuff. Uh, Wayne Rooney, our manager of the midweek in the championship. Before we move on to League One, I just want to shout out Millwall and Nottingham Forest because after very poor runs of form, those two teams notched very important and impressive victories this week. Not quite rewarded with an award here, but I will be previewing that fixture, Millwall versus Norwich, later on in the show. So stay tuned for some Millwall and Forest chat, guys. But for now, in League One, in midweek, George, the team of the week. Yeah, we... <laughs> It's probably the team who would have to do the best um, in order for me to pick them because I'm so scared of the accusations of bias. But our, our team of the midweek is Oxford United and I was Ooh. at the game as well. So I am, you know, it, it helps that I actually watched, focused on 90 minutes of football here so I can hopefully do Oxford justice for their performance. And I think you have to caveat this result and this performance by the fact that it has been a very, very poor season for Oxford so far. You know, the, the team who went into the Wembley playoff final as heavy favourites to get into the championship, um, you know, looking back just a few months now, even after this win, sitting in 17th position with just 19 points from 17 games, you know, and, and that is on the back of a run of five without defeat. So in the relegation zone for the majority of this season. And, and obviously, I, you know, I'm an Oxford fan. I've watched um, the majority of our games, albeit on iFollow. The level of performance has just been far, far beneath what we came to expect last season. And so the reason why Oxford are the, are the team of the, the midweek is because this was a, a return to what we saw before. The, the level of dominance Oxford enjoyed over Northampton was that of a promotion-chasing side against a relegation-threatened side, not that of two sides kind of lingering outside the relegation places. Um, Matt Taylor scored two goals, um, both of which are very important to him, a fantastic goal scorer. Um, Mide Shadipo scored off the left-hand side, a player who's on loan from QPR. But it was other players in the team who really started stepping up. Alex Rodriguez-Gorin came in from Motherwell uh, two years ago and was very, very important last season playing as the shielding um, midfielder in front of the back four, mm. a player who's very, very prone to a yellow card, who, who um, who's taken <laughs> off by Carl Robinson every single time he gets a yellow card because <laughs> Carl says that his presence on the pitch is totally pointless if another foul could mean that he could get he could get sent off. Um, but what people you know may not realise about Oxford from from last season was that Rob Dickey obviously left QPR, but but Cameron Brannigan signing a new contract when he was widely expected to go to the Championship was seen as probably the biggest bit of news by Oxford fans in the summer. But but he got a viral eye infection, um, which has meant that he hasn't played uh, any first-team football uh, for about 10 weeks now. And and nobody knew at the time, but it looked like at one stage it could be career-threatening. He's coming into the side soon, but but Gorin has therefore had to take on the mantle of both destroyer and ball player. And I don't think I've ever really seen any footballer do that before. We've got got a guy who previously, his job was just to win the ball and give it to Brannigan, give it to Dickey. Both those players have now gone and he's taken on the responsibility brilliantly he, he got the assist for the for Shadipo's goal he takes so many risks on the ball now and he's gone from a player who you know Blackburn were, were linked to him in the summer he's gone from a player who looked like he could be a championship level defensive midfielder to now being kind of an all-action midfielder Marcus McGuain uh, previously of Arsenal and Barcelona has had a difficult start to his time at Oxford this was also the game where he stepped up his ball carrying ability really really impressive as uh, someone who's a very good passer as well Sam Long um 
at right back who moved to centre back at half time. A player who has been much maligned by many fans, who I myself have said is not really capable of, of being a consistent League One footballer. He was arguably the man of the match. Jack Stevens, the, the young 21 year old goalkeeper who, who's come in for Simon Eastwood and only let in one goal in, in his four starts so far. You know, this was important for Oxford and for Carl Robinson because it seemed to be the beginning of these players stepping up, the players who were brought in in the summer to do more. And, um, and yeah, the manner of victory, 21 shots to five, uh, the 4-0 scoreline, but in no sense at all flattering um, the, home, the home side. And Dan Adji crowning it off with one of the goals of the midweek as well. Um, if this is to be a, you know, even though it comes at the end of a decent run, it feels like this could be the start of Oxford starting to look up the table rather than back down beneath them. Is there a better sub five foot ten striker in the air than Matty Taylor? I mean, it, it hmm. might be it might be wrong to say in the air as if he's climbing above centre backs to score headers, but the the consistency which with which he finds space in the box and scores headed goals is uh, is mightily impressive. I must say, it's something that always stands out to me about Taylor and and, and probably goes a little under the radar. And um, he's not our player of the week in League One. That would be overkill, I think. It's it's another diminutive player, but a very different type of player. And it's Tom or Tommy Lowry of Crew Alexandra. Now Crew beat Plymouth Argyle two one in midweek. They're having a fantastic season in a league that we think is one of the most sort of stacked League One divisions we've seen since we've been covering these leagues closely over the last five years or so. They are in the top half and they are there certainly on merit. They are certainly the top uh, of the four promoted League Two sides from last season uh, and they're thriving. And it is, as we know, a group of young players who have come through the youth system together all between about 19 and 23 years old, and they are just getting better and better with each passing game. Lowry is one of the most intriguing because he hasn't necessarily nailed down a starting place over the last 18 months, even though at his best, I think he might have the highest ceiling of any of these young players. But in terms of consistent performers for crew, you're normally talking about Pickering and Kirk down the left side, and Ryan Wintle, who plays at the base of midfield. Now, Lowry played alongside Wintle in the centre of the park against Argyle. And the reason I couldn't ignore him for Player of the Week is I watched all the all the highlights of all of the games back um, on Wednesday morning, and you're looking for flashes of quality from individual players. And what I saw on the crew Argyle highlights was the first highlight was Tommy Lowry picking the ball up in the centre of the pitch, Argyle camped on the edge of their own box, not a ton of movement in front of him. And then Charlie Kirk, who had originally played the ball square to him, making a run to the back post. And Lowry, with you know no room for error, just clipping a ball over the defence onto the onto the onrushing Kirk, who tapped in for 1-0. The next highlight, <laughs> Lowry picks the ball up just behind the halfway line, takes a touch, looks up, and sprays a beautiful crossfield pass onto the foot of Kirk, out wide left. That helped create a chance that wasn't taken. And then the third highlight was Lowry picking the ball up again uh, around the halfway line. Owen Dale scampering down the right wing and Lowry clipping a ball over the top perfectly into his path. Dale then beat two men and scored the the second goal. So, you know, although Wintle is known as, as the sprayer, if you will, the quarterback, I know some people don't like that phrase, but the person who, who really gets crew going from their own third or from the middle third. On this occasion, actually, he was a bit of a decoy and it was Lowry who was doing that. And Argyle just didn't really know how to to keep a hold of him. So 
he's he's a fascinating player, Lowry, because although he is small, he's he's tenacious, just like a number of these crew players, and he's clearly got a little bit of extra quality on the ball, a bit of technical quality. So I'm hoping that that performance in midweek will be a sign of things to come. Owen Dale is another one who scored the second goal, who maybe hasn't always been a key member of this crew side, but in scoring a couple of goals over the last few weeks, look, looks like he might have come to the party as well. Uh, it's a very exciting time to be a Crew Alex fan, it's fair to say. Watching players like Tommy Lowry is the reason why, uh, and he is our player of the midweek in League One. Well, the fans who are back in the ground today for the first time are making a lot of noise, despite being spread out all the way from pitch side to the uh, highest tier. Yeah, I'm not sure they should be there, Mark. Uh, why is that, Steve? Well, you're not allowed to watch a game in the highest tier, are you? Uh... Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. If one leg of your 4 plus fold Acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Manager of the midweek, then, and as you mentioned in the championship part, probably this is the time just to doff our cap to Brian Barry Murphy, who isn't our manager of the midweek. And, and I do feel like, you know, last time Rochdale ended a, a a poor run of form with a resounding win. He did get it, but we can't do that every time, Brian. So I'm afraid this time it goes to Steve Cottrell at Shrewsbury Town. Of course it goes to Steve Cottrell at Shrewsbury Town because, you know, I'm a believer that the new manager bounce is a myth. You know, I think that often sacking comes, sackings come at the end of poor runs of results that are probably worse than the performances themselves. And therefore, natural variance will suggest that there should be a turnaround of fortunes. With Cottrell and Shrewsbury, I'm not calling it a new manager bounce. I'm just calling it a manager coming in and implementing a style and a system and and instilling some belief in his players. Just basically doing a good job and getting results on the back of it. Because, you know, they're unbeaten in their last four in the league, which in itself is pretty staggering for a side who is struggling so much under Sam Ricketts. But you look at the teams that they've played, you know, they've hosted Accrington and Charlton, two sides who are very much in kind of the playoff mix at the moment and in very good form. They've held them both at home 2-1 and 2-1. And then two trips to, you know, Humberside and and Lincolnshire uh, last week saw them beat Hull and Lincoln first Mm. and second in the division uh, 1-0 in each game, taking the lead. And then... I mean, the Lincoln Lincoln game was a little less comfortable. Lincoln hit the post and had a couple of chances. But for the most part, not kind of facing the onslaught that we would expect a team, you know, holding on to, to really um, to really do. So we have to give a massive credit for that. Uh, you look at the goals they've scored. Charlie Daniels' goal against Hull was superb. And the goal I really liked here from Shrewsbury. Um, Sean Wally effectively getting the ball on the, on the edge of the area with the defender and a goalkeeper in front of him. And either giving them the eyes or giving them a little shimmy to send them both to the floor before just rolling the ball through in, into the middle of the net. Um, a lovely finish. But it just has to be the case for this. I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure. I'd love to hear from Shrewsbury fans how they feel the style of play has maybe changed. We know with Sam Ricketts, it was often fairly stale football. And I, I don't think it's the case that Shrewsbury have suddenly turned into a side who are looking to attack at any opportunity. I look at Cottrell's history as a manager and, and it struck me that the kind of club that Shrewsbury are is, is is not one we've seen him basically take on the role of, except for a couple of spells early in his career. I mean, he made his name 
of course, Steve Cottrell at Cheltenham back in the late 90s, early noughties. And that's kind of the closest thing I can see. But since then, he's managed a lot of, I know you don't like me to say it, Ali, but a lot of big clubs. You know, he's managed Stoke, Burnley, Pompey, Forest, Bristol City and Birmingham. You know, these are clubs with higher attendances, higher expectations. The only one in the middle was it was a, a very short spell at Notts County. In an 18-game spell, he only lost one game before getting the Pompey job. So maybe he is just a manager who thrives in that environment, who thrives maybe being a bit of a big fish in a small pond rather than going into the bigger clubs. But it's definitely working at the moment. Um, I wasn't totally convinced by the appointment, I must say, especially a manager who hadn't been in the game for nearly two and a half years as a as a, as a first-team coach, or as a manager, I should say, as a head coach. Um, but the... The results so far suggest to me this is more than just variance. This is more than a new manager bounce. This is a guy coming in, breathing some fresh air into the club. And to get six points away from home against the two top teams in the division, very, very few teams will do that this season. Um, and I'm putting the credit down to Cottrell. Absolutely. In League Two, our team of the midweek, End United, because they... Beat never thought you'd say that, did you? I didn't. I genuinely <laughs> didn't. Um, Southend aside, who beat Grimsby in midweek 3-1. Now, there were seven points between these two sides at the time, now just four. And, and Southend, one point away from safety, which, as, as you kind of alluded to there, George, would have seemed a, a crazy thing to say even 10 days ago. Um, but these back-to-back wins have been deserved, I think it's fair to say. This one might, in terms of the stats, look like a bit of a smashing grab, but they took the lead in the first minute, and that's always going to impact you know, things like shot stats uh, when you just take a snapshot of a game. Kyle Taylor, on loan from Bournemouth, scoring a brilliant strike from range. And after the, the setback of the equalising goal from Jackson Jr. of Grimsby, they then scored a brilliant, really well-worked set-piece routine to go 2-1 up, executed perfectly by Tom Clifford. But the best part of this is that the third goal was scored by 36-year-old EFL veteran Greg Halford. I didn't even know he played for Southend until I saw his name <laughs> flash up on the video printer, which is only fair enough. It's not that I'm, I'm getting lax. It's not that uh, I'm missing tricks, but he'd only been announced at 6.30pm as a free signing, uh, and he scored the third goal to ice the cake, if you will, here. Now, Halford hasn't played a professional game since May 2019. Uh, that was a period where he made two very brief sub-appearances on loan at Aberdeen. He hasn't played in the EFL since March of 2018, so two and a half years. Where's he, he been? And he hasn't scored in the EFL since April of 2016. So um, it, it's you know it's Mark Mosley clearly now able to sign players after a transfer embargo had really um, well really limited him. I think it's fair to say in the first part of his reign here. Um, but a couple of players have come in and are now part of the squad, and it looks a little less like a cobbled together group of youth team uh, academy graduates, essentially. Holford clearly coming in to give a little bit of experience, a little bit of nous. I've no idea if he's still got that long throw of his that, that made him so popular back in the day at 36. And at his side, you know, you can't rule out back problems. So maybe he's given up on that. We'll find out. Uh, either way, a brilliant few days for Southend. Really pleased for Mark Mosley who's in his first job in the EFL and, and could not have had tougher circumstances, really. Um, back-to-back wins for the first time in over two years after a, an 18 months for Southend in which they've lost 70% of their league games since the start of last season. Maybe, maybe they can start looking up now as they really did hit 
rock bottom. Southend easily our team of the week in League Two this midweek. What about the player of the midweek? Player of the midweek goes to a goalkeeper, which I think might be the first time that's ever happened on the show, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, listener, but Nick Townsend of Newport County is... It has to be. It has to be. You sent me a lovely compilation of his saves made (laughs) in the one-all draw against Salford. And I think the fact that Newport scored a 93rd-minute penalty, it's kind of like the perfect goalkeeper performance because... Townsend made a host of saves, made 10 saves. He saved a penalty himself um, from Ian Henderson, who doesn't miss many penalties. I think he's missed two now this season. Um, But I love the idea, you know, you go behind, you keep your side in the game for the whole of it. And then finally, the dying moments, Newport Mm -hmm. get the point with a penalty themselves. And the interesting thing for Newport, I was doing a bit of reading about Nick Townsend this morning. And, you know, he was at the club last season, but was the reserve team, well, he was the substitute goalkeeper came into the side at the beginning of this season and they haven't really looked back. But for Townsend himself, in an interview he did back in the end of October, he said, you know, the reason why we're getting these clean sheets and the reason why, you know, my record is very good is because of the defence. And, and we know that Newport are a side who, under Michael Flynn this season, have worked out a way to keep the ball very, very well and to basically restrict their opposition from creating many chances at all. And Townsend was quick to say, my job is very easy. It's easy to keep a clean sheet when you don't have a shot to face. So in a way, that also kind of elevates this performance. You've got a guy who's been, who hasn't been busy for most of the season. The first time he's properly called upon to make some saves and he steps up to the plate. It's, it's an impressive turnaround performance from Salford as well. I mean, these are two sides who have conceded amongst the fewest goals in the league. I think Salford have conceded the fewest and uh, Newport one more. Um, but there were 34 shots in the game. So this was a very, very open one. And, and by saying that Salford created a lot of opportunities, that wasn't to say that Newport in any way lacked the edge going forward. But it's often been Hladki, the Salford keeper, who's captured the headlines in League Two this season. But certainly Townsend was the dominant one, especially a brilliant save from James Wilson very, very late on, parrying the ball onto the post at his near post was the, was the pick of the bunch. Um, and it just goes to show how important it can be to have a good goalkeeper, even when you've got a defence who are so good at preventing the opposition from creating, from fashioning decent chances. Um, when called upon, he was superb. And I think any Newport fan, I'm sure Mike Flynn himself will tell you that that one point they got away at a side who I think we can anticipate, even though there's a 10-point gap between them at the moment, are likely to be promotion rivals come May. I'm pretty sure they'll look back and thank Townsend for this point. Our manager of League Two in this very, very lively set of midweek fixtures was, or is, Harrogate Town's Simon Weaver. Because Harrogate travelled to Exeter on Tuesday night and they left with a 2-1 win. And this wasn't any old Exeter side. This is a, well, I think fair to use the word rampant and free-scoring Exeter side that had scored 20 league goals in their last four games. An absolutely astonishing number. More goals in four games than around a quarter of the EFL had scored in the whole season uh, up to that point. Um, and it, it, this wasn't a smash and grab. They, they had the perfect game plan to limit Exeter. They did not allow... Exeter to do what they've done to so many teams in recent weeks, and that is to disrupt the back line, to force errors um, in possession at the back, and to score simple goals. They made it tough in a way that no opposition has in recent weeks. But not just that, they weren't playing for a nil-nil. Weaver had identified a way to hurt Exeter, and his attacking players executed it well. Um, Aaron Martin 
as the target man. He, he hasn't scored a ton of goals this season, but on this showing, he's an absolute handful for Exeter defenders. He was dropping into space. He was receiving the ball to feet, but he also created two goals with flick-on headers. And given the size of the Exeter centre-backs, it's no mean feat um, to, to sort of create aerially against them. He owed a lot to great finishes uh, from Kiernan and from Muldoon as well for the two goals. But I was so, so impressed with the Harrogate performance, especially because only five points accrued from 10 league games prior to this. So confidence has to be low. Um, you know, a long coach journey down to a side scoring that many goals. You could see how you would not be feeling too up for it, not feeling too positive about the game to come. But that wasn't the case at all. And it's testament to Weaver, the game plan that he had the, the players execute uh, and also his man management to have them going into it with the confidence to do that. Um, when you go to Exeter from Harrogate, on that run of form against an extra side like that and you leave with all three points. You're always going to win an award on this pod. So Simon Weaver, uh, our manager of the week, the next task for them is to beat another side above them in the table because I was looking at Harrogate's results and we know they started well, but when you look at the teams they've beaten, all of them are currently in the bottom six and this is the first time they've beaten a side outside of the bottom six. So plenty to work with now, plenty of confidence heading into the weekend. Simon Weaver, manager of the midweek in League Two. Up next, we're talking to the Athletics' Michael Walker, who has spent an unbelievable month with Middlesbrough and Neil Warnock. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Delighted to be joined by Michael Walker, uh, writer for The Athletic, brilliant features writer. And the current uh, project is, I mean, the, the headline is essentially spending a month with Neil Warnock and Middlesbrough. And we couldn't resist getting you on the pod, Michael, because that certainly intrigues us. It's been an amazing month in the championship uh, and you've spent it watching Middlesbrough and interviewing Neil Warnock and various others. Um, just set the scene for us. How did this come about? Why are you doing it? Um, what has it actually been like? Uh, it, it began uh, during the international break. Uh, I was just looking at the fixtures um, after that and thinking about various ideas. And then I, I was looking at the championship fixtures and it just I just kept on seeing game after game after game and when I looked at it Middlesbrough like other teams in the championship had nine games between the international break and this Saturday um, and it's nine games in 29 days so nine games in a month and even by the standards of what Daniel Fork calls the toughest league in the world it is 
extraordinary and to use the word of the year unprecedented and uh so it's the idea was to just to see what how it would unfold what it was like and uh, and so we we asked to follow a club and middlesbrough were um very helpful and very um open to the idea and um so i've spent I've spent the um, last eight games. Saturday is the ninth at Birmingham City, um, following Middlesbrough around and covering so far. Uh, I think it's eighteen, uh, no, sixteen Neil Warnock press conferences, plus a couple of chats with him on my own. Um, three of those, uh, I've spoken to the club doctor. I'm speaking to a player and um, just trying to build a picture of what this relentless month has been like and um and it's a piece that will come out after Birmingham City on the uh, on Saturday the, you know the ninth game so um I'm going to be speaking again to Neil Warnock after that and so it will come out on Monday and it will be a look back at at this this uh, extraordinary month mm. well, I mean you've had a bit of everything apart from a draw because they've either won or lost in, in the in the yeah. eight games four wins yeah. uh, and four defeats so you really must have experienced the 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 full range of Neil Warnock emotions and Neil Warnock at press conference performances I mean he's been box office for about four decades now Michael but especially recently it feels like he's been in in rare form and um, what's it been like being so close to uh, well one of the great EFL managers and characters it's been really interesting and it's been really entertaining and most of all it's been enlightening because you come away from spending this amount of time with him with um a different perspective than you go in because you you know if you haven't spent time around Neil Warnock and I haven't um I, you know I've I've interviewed him before and I've been in press conferences and I've covered his games you know over over decades actually um but I've never really spent this amount of time sort of in and around him, although physically we're not allowed to do that really. I've you know, I've seen him a couple of times after matches, you know, um socially distanced. Um which he's very he's actually been very um hot on that because he had you know, he has had COVID, so he has really been emphatic about that and has been actually quite uh, quite interesting. Whenever he's talking, he sort of broadcasts to T side. You know, and tries to get the message across to Teesside via via the local television and um, radio tees that people have to behave. He's actually been quite. Um, it's been quite interesting on that to see him. Been quite interesting in a lot of ways because your preconception is formed by the the image of him as a one dimensional ranter on the touchline. I've always thought that's that's not that can't be right because you can't be as successful and effective as he's been by being one dimensional um and it's be it's been interesting to see that he there's a lot more to him in terms of off the pitch there's a new there's nuance to him off the pitch um it may not always translate into a style of football but actually um if you go even the first game the first game middlesbrough lost to at home to Norwich who you know Norwich are the best team in the championship but that day Middlesbrough probably shaded that game and had a penalty disallowed at um, 0-0 which 
you know, which was echoed last night. Um, the the style of of Middlesbrough that day was really effective. Really, they all they they don't pack midfield numerically, and yet somehow they pack midfield. If you know what I mean, they just. They just don't don't give anybody any time in midfield. And Norwich were trying to play the ball through midfield, and in in, particularly in the first half, and they just couldn't because Middlesbrough were just on top of them. And they've done that on a few occasions where you, they've just they seem to have George Savile seems to come from nowhere on quite a lot of occasions, and it's like you know he's programmed programmed to come through this door that no one is no one knows is there, and it just you know and just shuts down attack after attack. So that's been quite. That's been quite interesting. I mean, there have been sort of characteristic Warnock moments, such as the pigsty at Stoke, you know, the the pigsty rant at Stoke, which would go down as a sort of classic Warnock. It's been a a very good start to the season for Warnock and Borough, especially given the campaign last time. They're currently sitting seventh in the league on 30 points from 19 games, two points off the playoffs, 10 points off top spot. Have you got an understanding um, of what the expectations are for Warnock and the club. I mean, is he eyeing up another possible promotion to the Premier League? Oh, he definitely is. He's quite sort of open about that because he, he during this run, he has had his 72nd birthday. Mm. Um, and he looks fit and he is fit, but he, he is also aware of time. And he actually says, you know, I don't have... I know he makes a joke of it, but I think there's something serious to it. He says, I don't have time to hang around and sort of try and do it next season. I want to do it this season. So there will be a there will be a push from him <clears throat> in January to try and get in a couple of extra players that he thinks can make a difference. They are still they still have an interest in Yannick Balassi at Everton and that deal nearly went through if you remember that collapsed mm. in the last few minutes of the transfer window. If they were to get Balassi, that I'm not saying it would be transformational, but he would be he, that would be some signing in the championship, not just for Middlesbrough, but for any team, you know. Mm. Um, and it sort of makes me think that it, I don't know. I, I I would I would expect Yannick Balassi would want to play in the Premier League. Do you not? Possibly. I mean, he he's dropped down fairly recently at Aston Villa, um, but you know, in terms of 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 what. Is on his. I mean, I think we're seeing at this stage there are so many players in the Premier League who um, would aspire to get that move. But these squads are fairly full now, and, and there aren't many moves to get at that level. So, and, and it's there for Championship clubs to, you know, to make the most of. Yeah, if he can get him, he's it, Warnock says he's talking to a couple of um, players and has already had conversations. But again, we, you know, in the pandemic, you have to go back to the economics of the situation and I don't know if Middlesbrough certainly aren't the wealthy spenders that they were you know 20 years ago uh, and have been on Mm. you know on various occasions since so it'll be interesting but to go back to the question he definitely thinks you know they can make a playoff push and if they if Middlesbrough reach the playoffs or are in with a shout in the of the playoffs in April then that's a real achievement this season, I mm. think. I think I can speak for everybody listening as well that I am incredibly excited to read the piece when it comes out. Is it, <laughs> is it next Monday? It's. I think it's due for Monday, yes. Uh, so, due uh, for Monday. Uh, uh, you know, once I get, once we see how Saturday develops at um, the Karanka Derby, 
<laughs> see, see how that goes. Absolutely. Well, enjoy the game. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Do find Michael's piece on The Athletic. Hopefully on Monday, I'm sure there'll be some Warnock anecdotes in there to go down in the ages. Cheers, Michael, for taking the time. Thanks very much. Thanks. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, the host of a special episode of Giant produced by The Athletic. It's the story of Chester City's American dream. A dream that turned into a nightmare. This is Terry Smith. He's coached teams to honours in England, Europe and the United States. One of football's most celebrated coaches. American football, that is. Now he wants to conquer another sport. I think I've probably got... Uh, you know, more years of coaching experience than just about anyone. Not in soccer. No, not in soccer. Search for Giant on Spotify to listen to the full episode. Right then, the weekend action looms large and while we're missing a few games across League One and League Two due to a few unfortunate outbreaks of the coronavirus within certain clubs. We've got plenty to preview. With the help of our sponsors, Paddy Power, George, in the Championship, what game catches your eye most this weekend? Sheffield Wednesday against Coventry. And and normally I finish with the odds, but this time I'm going to start with them because Sheffield Wednesday are the 13 to 10 favourites to finally get a win for Tony Pulis at Sheffield Wednesday. The draw is 21 to 10. Coventry, despite the fact they're unbeaten, in their last six games, are two to one outsiders. This is a massive clash of form between two sides who we can anticipate will likely right now take just survival. I know Coventry on a good run of form, but I think at the same time they have to understand that that may not last and these are points on the board in order to make sure that a return to League One isn't coming next season. For Sheffield Wednesday, this is desperate stuff now. Like, absolutely desperate. They And, and it's the worst start of any new manager in the club's history. Now, I know two things about Sheffield Wednesday. They have a lot of managers. Most of them don't do very well. So to have the worst start of any of them is is quite a feat. And and again, it, it kind of puts paid to the idea that certain managers guarantee success, guarantee stability. Just three points from a possible 24, and he's lost the last four games in a row. This is a clip of his from their last defeat in midweek against Nottingham Forest, where you can hear the dejection in his voice. Our important players didn't affect our better players, didn't affect the game as much. But then when you you come when you're playing at the champion in a championship level, you know, you need to to be able to have depth in your squad and players that might come on and change things. And I don't like I say, I don't think the changes and it's not the first time it's happened, I don't think the changes have made an impact. Those people who follow EFL football and social media as well would have seen the the reaction of the Sheffield Wednesday fan base to the clip showing Lewis Graben and Moses Odebejo effectively high-fiving and smiling to each other after Graben put in the second goal. Odebejo has said on Twitter straight after the game that in fact he was merely telling Graben that his foul or his supposed foul on Tom Lees would, would mean that the goal, there's no way the goal would count. That is an opinion that Tony Pulis agreed with. But fair to say... Taking a snapshot of the comments below, I'm not sure the Sheffield Wednesday fans buy that as an excuse. It's going to be very interesting to see whether Pulis stands by his man for this massive game against the Coventry side who continue just to impress. They've become so solid early in the season. 
Mark Robbins' side really struggled defensively. Um, but as I mentioned, I actually did them a disservice. It is seven games unbeaten now uh, in, in the championship. A nil-all draw at home to Huddersfield in the week was their second back-to-back nil-all draw at home. But again, Huddersfield aside, who we know can be pretty potent going forward and Coventry were able to keep them at bay throughout. It wasn't a particularly good game, I must say, but Coventry must fancy their chances going into this one. There's been talk about a, a an urgent meeting between Pulis and Chancery at Sheffield Wednesday. You do wonder how long this will be allowed to continue. Pulis was brought in to stop the rot under under Gary Monk and the opposite has happened here. They are rooted to the bottom of the championship, especially after that points deduction. Could Pulis's time at Hillsborough be a short one? This is a, an early edition, a Christmas must-win game for him. They're the favourites to do so, but we're not seeing much on the pitch to suggest why they'll go forward and take the three points on Saturday. The game that I've chosen is Millwall, Nottingham Forest. And, and while I wouldn't say this is a must-win game for either side, whoever does win, unless it's a draw, will <laughs> have had their outlook completely changed from last weekend. That's because both of these teams got huge, huge wins in midweek. Nottingham Forest beating Sheffield Wednesday. And I, I think more than just beating them, the relief for the fan base, and dare I say it, Chris Hewton, will have come from how comfortable they were against another side towards the bottom. Now, if that doesn't give them the confidence that they, you know... <laughs> It's one thing saying we shouldn't be down here and we're, we're confident that we'll move away from the relegation places. It's another thing actually doing it. And they, they went into that game having not won in seven, losing six of those games and only scoring twice in the whole of that run. So, you know, the fact that they had played the top six in that time was certainly a, a strong caveat to that. And they'll gain confidence from beating Sheffield Wednesday comfortably there. But Mill will beat Bristol City at Ashton Gate after 10 games without a win. That was the longest winless run in the championship in that time and they hadn't scored two goals in a game in that 10 game on a winless run and they did so on Tuesday night a little bit of fortune I think it's fair to say about the opening goal a fair few ricochets before it ended up in the back of the net courtesy of Tom Bradshaw but I think they probably earned that luck it's fair to say and it clearly gave them confidence not just to score a second goal in the second half a really good take from Mason Bennett but it gave them confidence defensively as well. And this was the most impressive part of that performance, restricting Bristol City to just three shots in total. That is Millwall at their best under Gary Rowett. And that's what they need to replicate this weekend against Nottingham Forest. For Forest, there's a lot of positives from that win against Sheffield Wednesday. Alex Mighton, probably the headline, only 18 years old, could be the next gem out of the academy. A wide player who completed all three of his attempted dribbles on the weekend and just was a constant thorn in the side of Sheffield Wednesday. He's obviously got some big names in front of him in the pecking order when it comes to wingers for Nottingham Forest. He started that game because of Knockhart's suspension. He'll be back this weekend and it'd be really interesting to see whether Hewton goes back to his his tried and tested Knockhart, who helped win in promotion with Brighton, or whether he, he lets Mighton have another go at it after such a good performance. Yates was brilliant in midfield, and he's been much maligned during this poor run. Cafu uh, in the number 10 role, and Ribeiro at left-back, excellent as well. So some positivity for Forrest, not least because Lewis Graben, whether he fouled Tom Lees or not, and I think he probably did, uh, it was great to see him finish so confidently after a spell on the sidelines, seen, has seen him lose his starting berth to Lyle Taylor. Not just that, but he did miss a lot of chances in the early part of the season under Sabri Lamucci. So it'd be great to see him 
coming back into things with confidence. But this is a game, I think, between two sides with increased confidence and hopefully, therefore, both of them with intent to win the game and make it back-to-back -back wins. Paddy Power have Millwall as the 5-4 to favourites at the Den. The draw, 2-1, to uh, and Forrest, the outsiders, at 21-10. to So it'd be fascinating to see how this one goes in the Championship. League One, you've got your eye on now. Uh, George, you're going to tell me about a side that you saw in midweek not named Oxford United. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, Oxford aren't playing, otherwise we'd be talking about uh, Oxford against Bristol Rovers. No, it is Northampton Town against Lincoln. And having watched 90 minutes of Northampton on Tuesday, I can't say that I'll be buying this one on iFollow, but I will be watching the out watching out for the result with interest because it's a really interesting game, again, between two sides who really need a win. Um, Northampton have lost their last three. They've lost those 2-0, 2-1 and 4-0. It leaves them one point above the relegation zone in League One. Lincoln have had back-to-back -back home defeats at the hands of Sunderland, losing 4-0 and then 1-0 against Shrewsbury, which we've already spoken about. And I think people, myself included, are wondering, is this where we actually see Lincoln after such a good start showing that they're not quite at that level yet. They're not quite ready to challenge to go up for the, to the championship. Michael Appleton on this very show at the beginning of the season said he thought that they were one season away from challenging at the top. Their form so far has has shown that the opposite of that, that they are ready. Um, but maybe we're seeing now that, that with, the, with the games and the schedule, a, a drop away of form. But for Northampton, I, I'm concerned from what I saw on Tuesday. You know, I, I think it's important to remember that they came up through the playoffs, having been, you know, the the seventh best team in the in League Two last season, and and for much of it, um, a lot of their fans weren't particularly happy with how they played last season. They blitzed the playoffs in a way that I've never seen a team do before ever. Uh, the level of performance and the level of intensity went up to a, an unprecedented level, considering the season, aided by the form of Callum Morton up front. Um, but this season, you know, they they lost certain players, Morton being one of them. Turnbull and McCormack were, left go, were let go, which now still seems just mind-boggling um, that they made that decision. And Keith Curl has his side that there were, you could see that they were the same teams on Tuesday to that playoff campaign. They were very busy. The pressing was intense. The football was attritional. It was very much, you know, we're not going to give you a second's rest. But with absolutely no end product whatsoever, they, they rarely threatened the goal. They looked pretty shaky defensively once you broke through that initial high line of pressing it was pretty easy to create chances as well so I think there are a few fans at Northampton who are starting to ask questions of Mysterious Curl I feel like his that there's not as much credit in the bank for him as normally managers have when they take their teams up because there were question marks over their performances last season. And a defeat here will be four on the bounce. So we'll probably see them move into the relegation zone and things could start getting pretty ugly there because there wasn't really much to get excited about. Um, they, they looked a long way off the team that we saw beat Burton away and Fleetwood at home just a couple of weeks ago. Um, Ricky Holmes is a player that I have so much time for. I, I've always thought he was a, a fantastic League One talent. I was delighted to see him getting a move back to Northampton. He looked a shadow of his former self. It's worth pointing out as well that Cobblers do have plenty of injury issues as well. Sean Dyche's 17-year-old son playing on the right-hand side of a back three um, who looks um, like he could be a, a decent prospect, to be fair. But, but I, I'm concerned about them. For Lincoln, this is a game where it's an opportunity for them to get on the road where they've got a lot of their points this season 
uh, against a side who are struggling and get back to winning ways and show the rest of the division that they are not going to slide down the table. They are the favourites. They're 10 to 11. Northampton 13 to 5. And the draw is 12 to 5. If you take a little look at the League One relegation zone, you will see just above it five teams sitting on 19 points. And I think all five of them, to different degrees, sitting a little uncomfortably. No more so than Plymouth Argyle. They're playing MK Dons this weekend, and I'm going to have a very close eye on this one because I think there's a lot of jeopardy on this game. Argyle had 19 points from 12 games, which, given they were promoted from League 2 last season, and this total had them just in the top half of the table, I think they could have been very pleased with the first quarter of the season. Problem is, they've still got 19 points after 18 games, so six defeats in a row for Argyle, and they've really experienced kind of every different type of defeat in that time. They've been absolutely thumped by Fleetwood and by Rochdale as well. They've had games where maybe they felt they deserved more, but left defeated. They've had games where they they had a game against Ipswich where they were winning, then went down to 10 men thanks to a silly red card and lost that one 2-1. It just feels desperately, more than anything, like our guy will need to keep a clean sheet, let alone win a game, but just nick a nil-nil or something because 17 goals conceded in those six games that is clearly what's letting them down at the moment and it's caused them to lose confidence in their attacking play as well which generally under Ryan Lowe you can really depend on Um, MK Dons their opponents they've kind of been in a similar position all season haven't they we we spoke to Russell Martin a few weeks ago there's a lot of positivity about the, the process about the way that they are playing and when it has worked it's been spectacular It's fair to say that every opponent that plays MK Dons has a a tough game, but they haven't been that tough to beat this season and they're finding wins really hard to come by. Dons have only won four in 18 games this season. So Russell Martin's been pretty clear that the issue is in both boxes and that's a pretty big issue, isn't it? Not being prolific enough with the chances they create, not being strong enough defensively to restrict the opposition when they get a chance. Um, it's an intriguing this uh, an intriguing game, this one. I think it'll be um, nervy, to say the least. Two teams whose confidence is pretty fragile at the moment. Argyles, maybe more so. You'd say seven defeats on the spin. Things could start getting fairly hysterical there pretty quickly. I still believe in Ryan Lowe and Argyle. I still think it's a good fit. And I still think that those early season performances show that if they can get their confidence back, they'll be absolutely fine. We know that MK Dons have a, a, a ceiling that could see them move up the table as well. But in the here and now, they have to start getting results. Two teams not defending well and recently not finishing their chances either. At Paddy Power have MK Dons, the away side, as the favourites. Home Park used to be a fortress, but not so anymore. 11-8 to 8, MK Dons, Plymouth 7-4 to 4, and the draw 12-5. to 5. League 2 now, George... Ooh, this one's a tasty one, isn't it? Well, I've just kind of realised that they say this is the season to be jolly, but I seem to be like just looking for disasters everywhere I go because <laughs> I focused on Sheffield Wednesday. I've then gone in for Cobblers and now we're going to be talking about Grimsby Town. And, oh, Ollie, like this is just really spiralling now to a stage which feels difficult to see a way out for Grimsby. Um, you know, you look at, you've already spoken about the result and the performance against Southend. I think when you, when 
Ian Holloway looked at the the fixture list and saw games come up at home against Mansfield, away against Southend, home against Scunthorpe. He probably eyes lit up. And then Bradford coming up after that as well. An opportunity to finally get some points on the board. But to to lose away at Southend um, opens up league the League 2 relegation area in a way that I don't think we expected to see. Grimsby are still three points clear of it, I should say. But their run of form at the moment is absolutely woeful. And, and often I think... You know, obviously there are, there are more advanced performance metrics to look into than than just this. Um, but having a look at teams' goal difference at this stage can always be quite interesting because you're seeing the level of dominance they're exerting over teams or vice versa. And Grimsby's goal difference through 17 games is minus 15. And it just goes to show that often, and whilst they've picked up four wins this season, when they're beaten, they are well beaten. And that is not a very good trait to see in a side. They come up against a Scunthorpe side who have leapfrogged them, having enjoyed their own very good run of form after, I think it was eight defeats in a row. They beat Barrow midweek for their third win in five. This is still a match between two sides who, whose main focus is avoiding relegation, but in terms of their trajectories are on very, very different paths indeed. Holloway cut a pretty dejected figure after the South End game. Um, rightly so as well, because even though, as you mentioned, South End took the lead early, uh, because they were 1-0 down, Grimsby dominated the first half. And often when that does happen and the team does get back level, you can feel like the momentum sides with the team who draw, draws alongside. But Southend were able to reclaim their lead and win that game 3-1. Uh, and it's hard to really see a way out. Not helped at all by Luke Waterfall's red card in injury time as well, ruling out one of their senior players for this game. Um, it's, it's desperate times for Grimsby. But if there is a manager that you can back to get a reaction and just to find a way to get points on the board, it probably is Holloway. Uh, He's invested in the club, uh, not just emotionally, which we know is always the case, but literally as well. You know, he's part of the the ownership team at Grimsby and you are going to be sure that he will not go down without a fight. This has to start on Saturday. It's an opportunity to do so. It's an opportunity to get back above one of the teams around them in the table. Um, and I wouldn't bet against them doing it. The odds themselves make Grimsby just marginal favourites, six to four. Scunthorpe seven to four. The draw is twenty-one to ten. Pretty spicy one for the fans as well. This one with uh, bragging rights, local bragging rights to some extent, up for grabs. Um, I'm talking about Bradford and Cambridge in League Two this weekend. It's partly because Paddy Power has no idea how to call this one. Bradford six to four to win. Cambridge six to four to win. Uh, and the draw 11 to 5. And I wonder what the prices would have been a week ago before Stuart McCall was sacked by Bradford. Such a horrendous run of form that saw them briefly dip into the League Two relegation zone, which was too much for the Bradford hierarchy to bear. They're currently just outside at one point above Stevenage. They're in 21st and they only have 14 points from 17 games. They haven't won a league game since the 3rd of November, seven games in that time. So the current favourite is Sol Campbell uh, with Paddy Power. The fact that he's 9-4 to favourite makes me think that either things are being kept under wraps or there's no one imminent at the moment. They're doing okay uh, with caretaker manager Mark Truman. Performance level against Crawley in midweek in a one-all draw was significantly better uh, than the month leading up to it. They looked a lot less tense. They were much better in their defensive structure than they had been against Oldham, where they were horrendous last weekend. And with the ball as well, um, looking a little more industrious and a little more confident, but still a long way to go for Bradford and for whoever 
comes in to replace Stuart McCall. They've got plenty to contend with this weekend because although Cambridge have slid down the table a little bit after that fast start in which they won seven of their first 11 league games and then went five without a win, Paul Mullen comes to town having scored two in midweek in a big win against Colchester United with 16 goals already in the league this season. Um, it's not going to be easy for Bradford at all. And yeah, as I say, it's just... it's it's. It's interesting to work out how you rate this Bradford side, how much you buy into that improved performance in midweek. Um, if you think that it was all down to Stuart McCall, that they were in such a poor spot, um, then you'd say it's not a great time to play them for Cambridge. But I suspect that the, that the flaws are still there and potentially will be until someone comes in and really puts a stamp on things, really grabs hold of things at Bradford City. I think it could be a good fixture for Cambridge United. So uh, that's the game I'm keeping an eye on in League Two this weekend. Paddy Power with both Bradford and Cambridge at 6-4 and 11-5 the draw. There we go. Totally Football League show extra time has gone deep into added time this week. Thanks so much for joining us this week and a huge thank you to Michael Walker who must be knackered after a month on the road with Neil Warnock and Middlesbrough but gave us plenty of insight into what's been a very, very busy month indeed. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed because on Monday, the guys from the Totally Football League show will talk you through all of the games that we've previewed and much more, of course. We will be back in January as we all take a little time off for the Christmas break. Have a very happy Christmas and thanks so much for tuning in so far this season. We can't wait to chat again in January. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. <laughs>